0: Love it. Open your Bibles to Galatians, Galatians 5. That is where we are, Galatians 5. When you get there, you can go down to verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. If you are visiting with us this morning, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can just look in the rack right in front of you. There's one for you to follow along with. Galatians 5, verse 16. To begin, let me read our passage that we. We'll be looking at this week and next, starting again in verse 16, right down to 26. God's word says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh... With its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is again our text for the morning. And two things, as you look at that passage, two things very much set against one another. Do you see that? in direct opposition to one another. They are the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The opposition of these two, not just a reality in this passage, which we'll explore this morning, but of course it's a reality in others, most famously like the battle described in Romans 7, that says in Romans 7 verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do understand Not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then this in verse 18 of Romans 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, and here's your word, in my flesh. And then verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then, of course, that passage is capped in Romans 7 with this, chapter 24, Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That Christian is the opposition. That, of course, you are very familiar with. We all are. Child of God, you know what it is like to live in the middle of that struggle. Like Paul, like the Galatians, this spiritual battle between the flesh and the spirit. In fact, you've often echoed the sentiments, have you not, of Paul himself in Romans 7. You know them very, very well. And as such, you understand the opposition that Paul is describing here in Galatians 5. Indeed, this is the battle, Christian, and as maybe you detected already, and as we'll see, there is no middle ground. I pray that's clear even at the first reading of this passage. There is no neutral walking. There is no 50-50 No church, as we'll see today, the Bible simply does not teach that. This passage is clear. The Christian does not nor cannot walk with one foot on the shore and one foot on the water. Just simply can't. No, it is either or. Every step is in the spirit or in the flesh. It's like the process of birth. You're never kind of pregnant. You either are or you're not. That's exactly the, that's what we're seeing in this passage. There is no mixing. You either are in the spirit or you are in the flesh. Beloved, that's just so important for the text we're going to look at today, that principle. Now, that said, for the Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, there are indeed two options for each step you take. You have an option. Yes, the believer, unlike the unbeliever, is free to choose either ground to walk on. Yes, we carry all that we've learned over these past few weeks about our freedom in Christ, right? We're going to carry that imported into this passage, as Paul does so. That the Christian is free in Christ and free to Christ, and what have we said? That means free to choose righteousness. And beloved, the glorious truth for you this morning is that you can is that you can. That is a choice one does not have without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are enslaved to our flesh and all its choices and all its gratification. Enslaved to self, enslaved to sin, unable to choose what is good, unable to choose what is right, and certainly unable to choose those things that come from God. We cannot do that enslaved to the flesh. It is true the unbeliever, cannot simply just manifest spirit qualities. They can't just whip up the fruit of the spirit. They can't. Only the Christian can produce that kind of fruit. Only a true Christ follower can choose that. But listen again, church. Freedom in Christ, our freedom to choose Christ, does not mean our steps in life are now mixed. Listen. Listen. Your freedom, true freedom is not a ratio. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that your choice to sin this week was 63% flesh and 37% spirit. That's not the way that it works. Not at all. It doesn't mean that the flesh was stronger in that moment or that the spirit wasn't strong enough. No Christian at the cross, Christ didn't die to give you an upper hand in life. Christ didn't lay down his perfect life so we'd have better odds and a better chance. No, beloved, that is not the way that it works. You are a new creation, praise God, because of victory. You're a new creation. And every step you take, you can choose righteousness, unmixed, unmixed. Beloved, you can choose righteousness always, 100%, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the power of sin in your life has been defeated. By Christ, mark this, write it down, permanently. Defeated, dethroned. Yes, sin is still present, but its power over you is gone. It's been disarmed. You are free to choose Christ. Yet, if that is true, that sin is dethroned, the power of the flesh is broken, then it means that the opposite is also true, right? That's the logical conclusion, that our choices to sin then, our sinful choices are always 100% in the flesh, and with that, always 100% our choice, To give you an image, as we set the table this morning, the pardoned criminal who is pardoned and free and then goes and robs the grocery store can't say, well, you know, those bars made me do it. It's because of those bars and my enslavement to the bars. The police officer looks at him and says, you are free. You see that? You're free. You made a choice. You're free and you made the choice to sin. Beloved, in the same way, sin has been dethroned in your life. And every choice you make as a Christian to sin is your choice in the flesh. Now, we will look at the implications for that, that we have a choice. Because we are free, praise God. And like the pardoned criminal is not making a mixed choice, neither are we. Each step for us, each step in our walk is either 100% in the flesh or 100% in the Spirit. Two choices, and if that unsettles you this morning, this text will prove it, and will show you without a shadow of a doubt two opposing steps that do not mix like oil and water for the Christian in life, and simply just two points today. The first is spirit walking. Spirit walking. Let's call our attention back to verse 16. It begins, But I say, walk by the Spirit. That is not only another command, which we've seen. We're starting to see this more in Galatians, have we not? Now that we've turned the corner, the indicative truths, right, the presented truths, now we're seeing these commands. If the gospel is true, Christian, this is how you live it. But this is also, I want you to look at that command there in verse 16. It's a command with emphasis, and the emphasis is not on walking. Literally, if we could look at the Greek behind it, it says this, by the Spirit, walk. That's what it says, by the Spirit, walk emphatically at the beginning. By the Spirit is what God wants to point your attention to. And that makes sense. It tells us those inspired words are drawing our attention not to walking, but here it is, the manner of walking. The manner of walking. Walk, yes, but listen, we all walk, don't we? We all walk through life. We all will journey through life. It's a way, of course, walking, it's that metaphor to say, how do you walk through life? How do you journey through life? What is your manner of choice and all of that? And listen, there's no command needed to live life because we all are living life. However, we may all walk and live life, but here it is, we all don't walk and live life the same way. Is that not true? We all have a different way of doing it. And here is now where we zero in on the church, and we zero into us as Christians, and there's only two options for the Christian. Yes, church, we are all free in Christ to walk according to his spirit, but that doesn't mean we choose to do that all the time. In fact, this letter has shown us, what have we looked at before? We're prone to relapse. We are free, but still at times we choose slavery. And here Paul emphatically commands the Galatians And all Christians, to live life, look at it, to walk by the Spirit. That expression you see there at the beginning of verse 16, walk by the Spirit, Paul employs that 30 times in his letters. Walk by the Spirit. This is a motif common to Paul. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And you may ask, hearing it and seeing it so much in the New Testament, what does that mean? Even more, you might say, how does one walk by the Spirit? Okay, I get it, unmixed steps, flesh or spirit, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? A very good and Christian, a very important question. To answer that, first let's just begin with something else in this passage. Look at verse 25, which we read this morning already. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now there's your image, a very familiar image to us, keep in step with the Spirit. That's the same language. Look at chapter 2. Do you remember this language when Paul was calling out Peter, right? When he was having mixed behavior with the Gentiles? Here the Jews were coming and he withdrew, right, from the Gentiles. And what does Paul say? Look at verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct, this is Peter, even Barnabas, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, and then he goes on, if you're a Jew, why are you behaving like a a Gentile, etc. But here's the key. Their conduct was not in step. Do you see that? Not in line. Now come back to Galatians 5 because this is the same import. There's the idea of keeping in step. And in fact, if that's a helpful picture for you, we could say think of a military march. Think of those varsity marching bands that you see in the States. They all take their cue from what? The beat, the drum, the baton. They're all marching in step. This is your image this morning. And that cue, that lead for you, Christian, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like that raised baton, right, in front, or the bugle. That's the Holy Spirit. Are you walking in beat with the Spirit? That's your picture. The Spirit, by the way, that's inside you now. And the Holy Spirit, like a bugle, like a baton, setting the pace for your life, prompting your steps and calling you to follow. And like the soldier or the marching band member, the question this morning is this. Will you follow the prompt of the Holy Spirit in you? The cue to walk in line. And beloved, this is far more straightforward than we make it out to be. And it brings up this next question. If the Holy Spirit is setting the pace, where does the Holy Spirit set the pace? How does he lead us? And there is no better answer for that than 2 Peter 1, 20, 21. You can turn there, but I will read it for you. You could note it 2 Peter 1, 20, 21. Speaking of how the Holy Spirit guides us and how the Holy Spirit speaks. Peter, the apostle Peter says this starting in verse 20. He says that no scripture, so no word of the Bible, right? No scripture, no word that's in your hands comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but where does it come from? But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit has spoken. The bugle call of the Holy Spirit, the raised baton of the Holy Spirit is not in authors today, not a feeling in your stomach today, not impressions, not in interpretations. No, it's right there in your lap. Look at it. That's the Holy Spirit speaking right in that book. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit leads us through this book. So what's the implication? Well, like the bugle and the baton and the drumbeat, will we follow? You see how this is very straightforward. This is how we know if we are in step with the Spirit. Simply walking by the Spirit means do we know what the Bible says and do we read it? Walking by the Spirit means do we then follow the Bible? Do we go in step with the Bible? Do we obey the Spirit's words. Walking by the Spirit means do we set our words, set our deeds, set our choices based on the Word of God. Walking by the Spirit means we live our lives according to this, in your hands, the Spirit's direction. And again, to be clear, the Spirit's direction is not ambiguous. The Spirit's direction is not how you feel the Spirit is impressing you, The Spirit's direction is how it is telling you in that book in your hands. That's the Holy Spirit's leading. So the command here is to walk by the Spirit. But that's not all the verse says. Keep reading. There's a promise. This is the thing. It's not just walk by the Spirit. Look at the promise constructed very carefully in this verse. Walk by the Spirit, then this. Look at this promise. End of verse 16. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, this is just so straightforward that we don't want to overcomplicate it this morning. Christian, the Bible says here, if you walk according to the Spirit, in line with the Spirit, in step to the Spirit, all that we just said, then here's the promise that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, in other words, do this, Spirit walking, and you will be fortified against flesh working. All right, very straightforward. Do the Spirit stuff, and it'll take care of the flesh. That's a grand promise because maybe you're here this morning and your prayer today or this week was, God, help me not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, here's your answer, right? Here is your answer. Now, before we get to that, before we dig into that, let's take a step back. We have that word. Do you see it there? Flesh, that domain again introduced to us last week. And last week, as we said, and Wednesday, we talked about this in depth. The flesh, we said, not referring to the covering of our bones, not just physical. No, we saw last week, and again, especially as we dug in midweek, how the flesh is human nature as it has become through sin. And specifically here, the flesh is that remnant of unredeemed nature that is still with the believer until glory. It's that remnant of ourselves that we noted off the top that fuels that struggle Right, That Romans 7 struggle is fueled by just that. However, we've also noted right, the flesh may be present to fuel that struggle, but here it is, it has no power. It has no power. Yes, indeed, we yield real estate to the flesh, but we don't have to. And we're being sanctified and growing, and, and we learn how not to do that. And here we have a verse that tells us how to do that. But even more, again, as we're looking at the overarching, in Christ, in Christ, the flesh has been dethroned. More accurately, look at chapter 2, verse 20. More accurately, the flesh has been crucified. Again, look at chapter 2, verse 20. We looked at this last week as well. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's union with Christ to any Christian, true for you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then listen to what he says. So it's Christ living and the life I now live in the flesh. So a reality that this is the domain that we have to live in, but I don't live it in the flesh. He says, I live by faith in the son of God. So helpful. That again gives us the context for the struggle. That verse presents the reality. We live in the flesh, but we live by faith. Now, because the flesh has lost its power doesn't mean it still doesn't have pull. And the reality of the pull of the flesh, the desire of the flesh, is what's in view here. That's what we're talking about in this passage. Yet we are given an antidote to the pull of the flesh. This is what we've referenced already. We have an antidote in your battle with the flesh. And here it is, a promise Look at it again in verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and here is a promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here is a principle and the promise when you walk by the Spirit. Look at it. Simply, when you listen to the Spirit through God's Word, commit to prayer, commit to study, when you obey the Spirit and His instruction in these inspired pages, When you heed these commands, when you orient your life and set your life's pace according to him, Christian, when you walk by the Spirit, here it is. The flesh has no pull in your life. It starves. It fades. Isn't that a promise? In your battle with the flesh, in one sense, we look at that and say, there it is. There it is. There is the answer to prayer. There is your how-to on the flesh walk by the spirit the answer is not to try harder to do more this food this tip this trick think of those sins right those flesh bents those desires you try so hard to beat down here the bible says to not walk by them to not be drawn by the pull of the flesh the bible says walk by the spirit it's so clear and so logical but beloved can i submit to you again i I'm out in front with you at this one. I'm with you. It's so elusive, isn't it? I mean, we may have our battles with the flesh this week. It's so elusive. Why? Why? Let me just submit some little helps, I pray. Can I tell you that we have a myriad of ways that we shoot ourselves in the foot? And I pray it's helpful as we think this through together. Someone would say, okay, well, the Holy Spirit, to walk by the Spirit is in the Bible. Well, read the Bible. Jason, read the Bible. I'm tired. It's been a long day, a short night. I don't understand it. Class, we talked about this this morning already, right downstairs. It's not exciting enough for me. Obey God's word? Obey it? It's too hard. It's too old. It's not sufficient. I don't like what it says. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Commit to being with God's people, commit to being there. I'm busy. I have a lot of other commitments, and God understands, right? Yet the battle rages. Beloved, we could say so many things. Do you see how we sometimes are the author of our own undoing? We bring it on ourselves when we don't walk by the Spirit with all of our protests. And in all of those protests, we simply do what? We open the barn door for the flesh. The flesh. Yet the Bible is clear here. Those flesh episodes that we can't get over, it seems, are simply, as we examine our lives, a matter of priority. Priority. It's been said, and I agree, if you want to see what matters to someone, look at how they spend their time. Is that not true? If you want to see what someone is all about, where they orbit around, who they worship, see where they spend their time. I believe that. Even more, we would say how that fleshes out. It's a matter of how we order our steps. Where are your steps, beloved? Where are your steps? And church, here is where the Bible presses the point. As we said off the top, this is not a wishy-washy affair. This is no mixed bag. We are either taking those steps in the flesh or in the spirit. It's either or it's or. Why is that? Why must it be so polarizing? Well, listen, beloved, here it is. Because they're at polar ends. That's why it's so polarizing, because they can't be more further apart. Look at verse 17. This is one of those verses, by the way, that just speaks for itself. I hardly need to unpack this for us. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Here it is. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. So... Clear The flesh and the spirit, oil and water, are direct odds with each other. Do you see how they can't mix? Both are actively working against each other, as the verse says, and not only that, walking according to one will keep you from doing the other. As the end says, we press this point. We talked about this Wednesday because of how many times we say we can't in the Christian life. We can't. But, beloved, we need to understand there is no mixing of the flesh and spirit. You're not a stronger, weaker Christian and all of these things, or my dose of the spirit is not enough, or all of these things. We know this. Think about sports. Do you have those athletes that play for both teams on the field at the same time? No, no you don't. That, that actually is foolishness, isn't it? The player's either what? Playing for this team or that team. 100%. If it's true in athletics, how much more true is it with the flesh and the spirit? They don't mix. Like the athlete wouldn't put on a half and half jersey or maybe say, well, today I'm coming out and he's before the reporters. I'm 40%, right? Leafs or whatever it be. And I'm 60% Habs. That's not the way that it works. He's either here or he's there. The flesh and the spirit is the same thing. There's no mixed bag. And The reason why we need to press this point and look at verse 17 is because we may agree and see it, but we don't live that. We say things like, well, you know, the flesh won out. Well, you know, it just it was a stronger pull, right? We, we, we say these things where we bring down the truth. So it is with the flesh and spirit. No mix, no middle ground, no kind of spirit, no sometimes, no mix, no Christian. Walking by the spirit means you're fully in step with the spirit. Walking by the Spirit means no sideways detours, and no, here it is, as we think about Galatians, our study, no going back under. We're reminded of this in verse 18. Look at it. This is the language we've been in in Galatians. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Is that not a polarizing statement? If you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer in slavery. Do you see that? You can either be in one of the, you're either being led by the Spirit, or you're back enslaved. This is just so helpful, I pray, beloved, in our practical Christian walk. Remember, living under law works was going backwards, was returning to slavery. So too is the Christian that chooses to walk according to the flesh. And this is evident as the next section will demonstrate. And Paul warns, hence our next heading, flesh warning. Flesh warning. Look at the beginning of verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Key in on that word. The works of the flesh are evident. I mentioned this past week that we're given these lists. I think I actually mentioned it midweek, but just to recap here, this is a vice list. These are those difficult passages that you come to in Scripture and you say, why do you have to itemize all these sins, Lord? Why? Listen, for a very important reason. And it is not, hear me, please hear me, it's not just to catalog sins, it's not to inflame guilt or to provoke shame. It's not why they're here. That's not why they're here. No, Hear Romans 8.1, fresh ears, fresh ears, it blows up such thinking. Romans 8.1 says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. No condemnation. I said, okay, well then why this vice list? Well, this is where it's important to understand why this. Why? Well, Paul is going to answer that question in part with one word. What does he say? The works of the flesh are evident. In other words, Christian, the works of the flesh, you can see them. And as we think about helpful tools in our Christian life, one of the things the Apostle Paul is saying, they're evident and I'm going to help you see them so that you know you're living and walking in the flesh. Christian, they are observable. This is so helpful. And like a helpful self-examination, like necessary Christian walk maintenance, we're given these evident behaviors of the flesh for our benefit and help. I pray you see that. Not to heap shame, but to help. To help. And that's exactly what they do here. They help us. Like a warning light. And also so that there would be no confusion. And beloved, can I say, can I just pause for a moment to say, I am constantly astounded at how much confusion there is today. I was reading an article this week. I ranted with some of the guys about this. I cannot believe how the scaffolding of marriage and sexuality continues to become unglued. What in, let me say this, fringes of the church is being accepted now as sexuality. And not just sexuality. I'm talking about partners, types, amounts, frequency, all of this madness. I'm reading this article saying to myself, how have we come here? And how, and here's the thing, I was reading an article quoting someone in the church expressing how this should be okay. This should be okay. Beloved, listen to me. Why do we have vice lists? So that there is no confusion. And we're not going to dig deep into any one of these. We're going to show how there is no confusion. Your God, 1 Corinthians 14, is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. Your God is not a killjoy that says, you know, you go figure it out. Let me take your hand and show you what this sin looks like so that there is no debate that this is sin. That's exactly why we have this list, and it's so helpful. There is no ambiguity in the Bible. The works of the flesh, look at it, are evident. Now that said, and before we look at them, the aim this morning, as I just noted, is not to exhaust these or to dig down in each of them, And there are many reasons why we wouldn't do that, but that's not the point of the passage. Paul's point here is not to camp out at one of these vices and go deep. That's not the point. As well, this list is not exhaustive. Can I say that? It's not an exhaustive list. This is not like the list of sins. And if your sin's not on there, you're like, I'm all right. Right? And we do. And we're going to get to how that, we love that thinking. Like, is this okay? Can I do this? This is not exhaustive, but it's representative. I say that about the qualifications of an elder. People go to that list, I tick all these boxes. Well, that's a representative list, summed up with above reproach. In the same way, works of the flesh are evident. And we're going to see a phrase that really captures that at the end. And for most, if not all of these works of the flesh, they stand for their own steps. Beloved, I'm with you when we will be able to identify with many of these. So let's look at them the way that God's word has given them to us. Let's survey them just as they appear, starting in verse 19 in our first work of the flesh, sexual immorality. That word, the Greek word there is porneia, and that of course is where we get the word pornography from. And this refers to, can I just set your mind straight, porneia refers to sexual sins of any kind. Any kind. Not just the married, but the single, not just engaging, but the viewing. All of it, pornea. Anything other than a physical, physical, one husband, one wife, union, anything other than that, pornea tells us from God it's wrong. It's wrong. It's simple and mentioned why we need to press some of that. It's I referenced already reading and disturbingly about the lowering standards of this stuff in the church and so much more we could say about that, but the word stands for itself. If it's not one husband and one wife, it's wrong. Second, impurity. That word is akatharsia. Say that 10 times fast. But it's important to say that because it's where we get the word. You know this word catharsis. You know that word? Catharsis is the purging. It's the cleansing. cleansing. Well, in the Greek, you have this A in front of it, which just simply tells you it's not that. It's not happening. So picture it's not with this cathartic release. It's not purged. What do you get? A polluted thing, an unclean thing. That's your image. This is mixing. This is polluting. This is a failure to purge. This is no catharsis. And so many examples that are evident here, but let's comment on one that endures. So we look to apply this. We always go to the ones that shouldn't be so obvious, but they are. And can I say to you today in the church, it's language. I am mystified folks at the language of Christians. I am absolutely mystified that what is tolerated as a mixing, that these words are okay. Beloved, can I say to you, and I will take the criticism for this, it is not okay to say those words. It's not. It's not relevant. It doesn't draw people in. In fact, it brings down God. It is not okay to mix our language on any condition. It's not godly, and it's not glorifying. Thirdly, sensuality sensuality this is living that is enslaved to our senses this is a lack of self-constraint that's the word you have an niv it calls this debauchery that's a really helpful way to look at this This is a debauchery and that's right if you have a king james it says licentiousness that gives you even more of a picture and that is right too this is the work of the flesh and it has this rallying cry have you heard this if it feels good do it that's sensuality doesn't matter. Just release yourself to every pleasure. If it feels good, do it. And listen, beloved, there's no distinction here. When you talk about giving into your senses, whether it's same-sex attraction that's wrong or eating too much food is wrong. Giving into your senses, they're equal standing. Equal standing. They're both sensuality. Idolatry. Look at the next one. This is a general word for the worship of anything apart from the one true God. And can I say, as the guys are reading Old Testament texts, which are helpful, right? In that sense, the Israelites battled with the wooden idol stuff. And often we can think when you hear idolatry, well, it's just the wooden idols, so those little carved creations that they bow down to. No, no. This is the New Testament stuff of withholding money because you love it so much. We have covered idolatry a number of times in our studies, but let me just say this one thing again, and I hope it's helpful. It's whatever is inserted here. I could never live without blank. I could never live without blank. And whether it's coffee or children or your spouse, it's idolatry. And we confess and repent that to God. That's your idol. Sorcery. Look at that word, sorcery. It seems so fantasy, right? But this is far from the stuff of fantasy. This is indeed the stuff of magic and mysticism. This is the secret arts. Yes, this is the stuff of Eastern religions, and here it is, beloved, like a Trojan horse, has invaded every sector of the church today, from the obvious, like witchcraft, to the not-so-obvious, like yoga. It's invaded from best-selling books like The Secret to up-and-comers like Enneagrams. It's everywhere, Eastern mysticism, just getting in wherever it can. That's sorcery. Next word is enmity. This word is your New Testament opposite for love. That word there means hatred or hostility. It's a strong word, and that's helpful because this is what happens when you fail to put on love. If you ever wonder where some of those dark feelings come from as you live life, it's the absence of love. And that's what happens when enmity rises within you. This is human to human animosity. And church, this is just far more subtle than you think. This is that thing in you when you're behind the keyboard and it's safe and you type whatever you want. This is the thing behind you when you're behind the wheel and you think you got this big carriage of a car around you and you can do whatever you want. This is that thing that rises when you've put off love and put on self. That's what enmity is. Next is strife. You can see how these kind of string together. This word is quarrel, debate, or contention. This is now outward action, right? This is the work of the flesh that not only thinks that it's right all the time, but this is the flesh work that quarrels and debates and pushes to the end. Do you know that? This is the one that just, I'm right, and I will not stop until you know that I am right. Right? This is the work of the flesh that's often disguised as this. Have you heard of this term? I'm just playing devil's advocate. That's this flesh work, right? And it just wants to push and push in the manner of quarrelsome and debate. Next, look at it, is jealousy. This is the same word where we get the word zeal from. It's really neat that zeal and jealousy come from the same root. And you say, well, one's very negative, one's very positive. But you can understand how zealous moved to jealous over time. Zeal is for good things. Biblically, we talk about the zeal of Phineas. And Jeremy had us in Numbers. Just a few chapters later, you get the account of Phineas, right? And the Baal worship of Peor. And what do they do? Someone brings in Midianite into the congregation and thinks that it's okay, right? That even though they're worshiping a different God, I can bring them in. And everyone is okay with it. I mean, everyone's just fine. And what does Phineas do? He takes his spear and he impales them. That sounds so graphic and harsh. But then he's lauded by God. In fact, the Levitic covenant, the covenant of Levi, springs again from that to say, this is the kind of worship I'm looking for. Those that don't mix worship for my name. Incredible account. But you can see how over time that zeal for the good things, we just moved the compass point a little bit and had that zeal and intensity for ourselves. And can you see where we get the word jealousy from? What is jealousy? I want it for me. It's for someone else and I want it for me. And that's how we corrupt these good things of God. Next, fits of anger. Or as the NIV renders it, fits of rage. King James says wrath. Wrath. Some works of the flesh conjure up immediate pictures, and this is one, fits of anger, fits of rage, which are evidently, if you've ever seen a fit of anger or done one yourself, you know very clearly it's not of the Spirit. It only comes from one place. This is, by the way, when you sit behind the keyboard and you feel that thing, or you're behind the steering wheel and you feel that thing, this is the hitting send or the cutting off. This is the expression of that. It is now bubbled up, fits of anger. Next, rivalries. Look at that word, rivalries. Another athletics kind of a word, right? I mentioned the Leafs, Habs, we have these rivalries. The word that pictures two opposing things. And here's the thing, that are just not of each other, right? It points to the reason why, which is selfish ambition, self-orientation. That is why there's rivalry. This team is like, it's only about us. We're the best. We're going to win. And what does this team say? Yeah, we agree with you. No. They're like, no, we are. We're the best. We're going to win. Do you see? That's rivalry, right? This is the flesh work. And you see this throughout the New Testament, Romans 2, James 3. What causes those struggles and strife and quarrels among you? It's that pronoun, me. That's what it is. It's me. What's in it for me? This pops up. You hear questions like, what about me? What about my share? What about my interests? That's the stuff of rivalries. Feeds into the next one, which is dissensions. Dissensions. This is selfishness embodied. This word pictures is too selfish, now standing apart, right? That's your posture. Not only looking at just me, they want nothing to do with the others, and they stand far apart. This is the next step of rivalry, Indeed, the next level of self-centeredness. As I say, this is me versus him, us versus them. This is my stuff, my gang, my territory. And you're over there. This is the drawing of boundary lines in church spats. Have you been part of one of those? You get a little church spat that erupts, and you've got to clearly define the boundary lines. This says, what side are you on? What side are you on? Next, the next progression, divisions. This is not only the next chronological word in the list, but it's the next logical word. That word means factions. This is where rivalries that led to dissensions leads. It's not only the drawing of boundaries, but this is faction identity, right? This is no longer the stuff of church spats. This is the stuff of church splits. This is where it ends. This is the we hold to this. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is faction identity. And I think we can relate to that. Next is envy. This is not just another word for jealousy. This is where we need to see the precision. This is this Hebrews 4 word of God. This is not just jealousy. This word has a darker dimension to it, and I think we know it. This is ill will for another because they're doing so well and they've received good. Here, one is not necessarily wanting it for themselves, right? Like jealousy, this is to the next level. This is not wanting them to have it at all. This is the insidious thing that Christians feel when they get the praise item from another brother or sister. And what did they say? How come good went to them? It's insidious, isn't it? That's envy. That's a work of the flesh. It says, that doesn't revel in the praise and give praise and doesn't genuinely feel good for the brother or sister. Envy says, why did they get it? Why did they get it? Penetrating stuff. And you can see how this is helpful. Do you see how some of these things we can miss and just think, oh, we're coasting. The last two words in the list go together. Words associated with hedonism. Look at those two words. Drunkenness and orgies. Drunkenness, no explanation or picture is needed, drinking to intoxication, in other words, senses are lost. Orgies, this pulls out the sexual aspect of the word, but it has a bit of a broader dimension, means carousing. And every image of a wild party, a frat party, all of that, that's what this word is. Now, it pains me to say, you might look at those last two words and say, well, thankfully, we're not there yet, right? And we're just not there yet. I mean, we're bad, but we're not there yet, beloved, let me tell you. The compass point for church proper is pointed, headed in this direction. Drunkenness, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in, and I know you have been, where the issue is, well, that's not really drunk, and where's the line to be drunk, and this is okay, and those staunch defenses of, well, I'm not Drunk. What about orgies? Again, I couldn't believe the stuff that I was reading this week. Talking about how sometimes you need a different kind of partner than your husband or wife. Because your husband or wife doesn't understand. Beloved, this is coming. This is where we are. And so that there is no confusion. This stuff is not of God. Not of God. At all. And that brings us. The summary expression. This is the most important part of this vice list, and I want us to zero in on it. Paul gives it at the end. Do you see? What does it say? Four words, and things like these. You say, Well, that's, he's done, right? Church, don't glance quickly by those four words, and things like these. As we said earlier, this tells us that this list is not exhaustive. Do you see that? If in one thing you take, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not the end of the story. Wow, okay, what I'm sitting in, it's not on here, so I'm all right. Things like these tells us this list is representative. In other words, it tells us it stands for much more. The work of the flesh is crafty and looks for new ways to express itself. Things like these, even more, with an expression like this, points to what? Association. And here it is, loved one, zero in. It tells us there are other things. Do you see that? Things like these tells you what? There are other things. Like these in the list that need no specific description because you know their association is like these. This is why Paul adds this small phrase because listen, I said it already, we're always looking for loopholes, aren't we? I know for me, even as a young Christian, is this okay? Can I do this? Is God going to be okay with it? We're always looking. That's the flesh. That's walking in step with the flesh. This is for the Christian that walks according to the flesh with a certain conduct. And it's evident. And it says, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. But listen, beloved, right here in four words, the Bible does. The Bible does. And things like these. How often does the Bible not need to say anything? Beloved, that's what we miss We're so busy wondering if the Bible says something. The question is the Bible doesn't need to say anything because it's so obviously wrong. Look at the word in verse 19 again. It says what? The works of the flesh are evident. They're evident. They're obvious. Many examples I can hear, but I'm going to give you the one that I continue to get questions on over and over again. People asking, people seeing, and there's so much confusion. Cannabis is wrong. It's wrong. People say to me, well, what about the science? And they want to come to me with these science, and break it down. Well, you know, THC and all this. Listen, let me, church, give you one reason why it's wrong in every domain. Association. Do you associate the Puritans with cannabis? Do you associate the church that's gone before with dabbling in a little bit of marijuana? No, you don't. It's wrong. And things like these. Don't let the world impinge on you and start blurring the lines. And things like these. Beloved, if you're in Christ today, listen to me. You don't need a list. You don't need a list. You know what's wrong. You know what's wrong. Things like these, like the flesh and the spirit, there's no neutral ground here. Westmount, our fleshly desire could never fit into a tidy box of 15. Never. You know it couldn't. You could come up with any number and the flesh will find one plus every time. That's why Paul says the works of the flesh are these and things like these. Paul caps this section with a warning then. Fitting, look at verse 21. I warn you, and this is the flesh warning church, this is why we examine these lists, not to see if we fit in boxes, not to see if such behavior is okay, not to beat ourselves up, not to heap on guilt and shame. Paul's warning here, It's not to keep you up at night for that thing that you once did. That's not the point of this list. No, look at what he says. Look carefully. He says, those who do such things. Those who do such things. Paul does not say those who did such things. Because that would be past tense. Christian, if you've had some of these in your life in the past, like I have, if that's you hear this, to the fleshly church. You remember those Corinthians? Hear this. One of you referenced this on Wednesday night. First Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know, Corinthians, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's your warning. That's hard, right? And he says this, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that hits heavy, doesn't it? Keep reading. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. Such were some of you. You're no longer that. No longer That's the glorious truth, that that vice list, these things, are part of your past. My beloved, I can't leave today without saying this, because this text is a warning. What if you're sitting here today, and these things are part of your present? What if you're walking in them right now? Right now. And friend, by walking in them, we mean what the verb says. Look at the verb again. Those who do such things. That verb is present tense, characteristic of ongoing action. You could more specifically say it like this. Those doing such things. In other words, you're in them. You look at your life right now, and it's a pattern, and it keeps happening. It keeps appearing. Sure, there's latency, maybe three days, three weeks, even three months. But it keeps popping up. It keeps happening. For anyone in that situation, Paul offers this warning. And again, take it from the verse, not from me. Take heed where you stand. Your ongoing behaviors may really give evidence, we speak of evidence, of your true identity. Your true identity. And if it's you today, continuing in one or more of these works of the flesh, or things like these, let me leave you with one final word. This is the warning here. Repent. Repent right now. Repent. This is the warning. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're living in these. Repent. Do it before it's too late. Your life may end tonight. Repent. Heed the warning. here. Heaven does not await the flesh. It does not. Look at the warning. The flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repent today, right now. Repent. Turn from that slavery and embrace freedom in Christ. Not just any freedom, or again, freedom to do it again in the future, but true freedom. Repent and forsake the flesh for true freedom in Jesus Christ. That is the only way you can take a step by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. Precious friend, let Christ guide your steps. Experience that victory. And what does that look like? Let Christ the Lord, being your vision and your guide to every step, well, the beauty is this passage just keeps going. And Paul will tell us about the fruit of the Spirit and what that is evidently like. The Spirit-filled life, life in him. And we will continue next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your guide and instruction, your clear direction in your word. God, we look at these lists, and two things strike us. One, that such were some of us. God, these things in this list don't identify us anymore, and we have victory over them. By Jesus Christ, your Son, you have dethroned the power of sin and flesh in our lives. Praise God. But God, we also are reminded in a text like this that the flesh still has a pull. And God, we pray to continue with each step to yield to the power of the Spirit. Lord, cast before our eyes and our hearts and our minds The steps, Lord, that are clearly outlined in your word. We're so prone to our own way, Lord. Help us to stay on the true and right path. Father, that's our cry, our pleading, our begging as we begin this new week. God, this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.